God's vision for our church. As we look this morning at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and as we reflect upon the Bible itself, pictures are always a big deal and a major part of Scripture. Pictures and images are constantly given to, are given to us throughout Scripture. And in a generation and in, and in a time where there were not a lot of writings, particularly in the Old Testament, they were dependent upon the pictures and the images and the stories to communicate God's truth to them. We still use pictures today very much in our society and very much uh, in the way that we live. We are primarily communicated, even though we have words all around us, writings and books. We still are very touched and moved by pictures, i.e. see movies, commercials. Uh, we, matter of fact, you know, we still uh, are very... Uh, drawn and very moved by commercials themselves, by 30-second pictures, so to speak. Our culture is even built upon that. When we see a billboard, we look at the picture, and if the picture captures our attention, then we will read the words. The same is true in advertisements. This is nothing new. This has been true all throughout history. Now, I, I want to start off by showing you some pictures, uh, first of all, of our, our staff. I chose to do that because some of you don't know who all our staff are. And uh, these are pictures, and they have titles, obviously, and they have faces that, that we see. And uh, some of these are, uh, are our full-time, some of our part-time staff. You see our children's staff here, and you see those that are listed. You see our, uh, some of our administrative folks, our women's minister, uh, our worship team and in different folks on our staff that help perform functions at our church uh, to make us viable and to make us effective. And those pictures represent people. Sometimes pictures represent principles. As we look this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul here will give some pictures of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, to be a faithful follower. Now remember, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's writing this letter to his son in the faith, so to speak, Timothy. And scholars will estimate that somewhere between a few months and maybe even some would say a few weeks later, Paul will die. So these are the last words that we have of Paul. And Paul recognizes that he's dying. He recognizes that the end will come soon. And he is in a Roman prison. He has chains upon his body. And it is a difficult time. And he's writing to his son Timothy. And these are his words. This is his last will and testament. And in chapter 2, he will give us a picture. He will give Timothy, his young son in the ministry, the picture of what it looks like to be faithful of what it looks like for him to follow him after he is gone, to follow Christ. He gives this picture, and I believe it's something that we can glean and we can remember as we think about our lives as followers of Christ. You know, it reminds me of the story of, uh, of uh, Sam Walton and David Glass. Now, David Glass was a CEO uh, of Walmart from, uh, I believe, 84 to 2000. But he tells a story of in 1962 when 
he uh, owned a couple of drugstores, or he was running a couple of drugstores in Missouri. He happened to be in Arkansas, and there was a grand opening at this time of, of Sam Walton, who was opening his second store. Now, nobody knew who Sam Walton was at this time. Uh, but David Glass decided to go on over there because he was looking at opening some, some additional stores and, and uh, just thought, you know, this will be good. I, I'll be over here. I, I don't have a lot, uh, much else to do over here in, uh, in northern Arkansas at this point. And so he went to the grand opening. And it was, it was the end of July, and it was really, really hot that day, he said. And they started this thing at like noon, and it was on the asphalt out there. So it was already piping hot. But then he, he, they brought out these watermelons, and they put them all over the asphalt. And uh, it got up to about 115 on the asphalt, I believe, because it wasn't long before those watermelons started to explode. It was so hot. And then Sam Walton had had this great idea that he would bring donkeys in for the kids to ride. And, well, that was all well and good for about an hour. But then the donkeys started doing what donkeys do. They began to eat those watermelons that exploded, and it was just a complete mess. It was a disaster. And I remember thinking, he's a nice guy, but this man's going nowhere. And uh, But I, I remembered something else about Sam as I got to know him through, through the years, though, is Sam always had a purpose and a plan. He always had a purpose and a plan. And I had no idea that 25 years later I would come to work for him. You know, God has always had a purpose and a plan for us, for followers of Christ, He's always had the purpose that we would know Him and that we would know grace and forgiveness. And His plan has always been to make, uh, make him, for us to make Him known and for us to be conformed into His image. He gives a picture here to Timothy. He gives him a purpose and a plan. Let's look together in 2 Timothy, beginning with chapter 2. If you'll remember last week in chapter 1, we stated about the importance of having a correct belief, of exercising godly practices, and of living in community. And Paul continues somewhat with this theme here as he encourages Timothy to... He's already talked about the importance of having a correct belief, a right spiritual belief, and then he encourages him in the practices and he gives him... A picture. He starts off in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son. He gives that picture of a son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. Be strong in the unmerited favor that has been given to you. And extend this grace. Know this grace. Live in grace. Live by grace. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who are qualified to teach others. We talked about last week. What is he talking about when he says the things that you heard me? Well, we can flip back to 1 Corinthians 15, and we know the very basic essence of what we know he was talking about because he talks about the importance of the resurrection of Christ who died, the importance of forgiveness of sins, that was the most basic creed and the basic element of the gospel of what Paul taught. And that creed, again, as we shared last, last week, was written anywhere from three to maybe seven years after the death of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Those faithful things that he's taught, the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
And he moves on and he says this, Endure hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Like a soldier who knows that he's going into battle, that there are going to be tough and difficult times. Timothy probably didn't understand it, but there would come a time where it was already oppressive, but under Diocletian, where Christianity would be outlawed. And many would be required to make sacrifices to a Roman god or face execution. He says, endure the hardships with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved with civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. He gives that picture of an athlete here. And he says, it's important that we participate and that we compete according to the rules, according to the words that I've given you, and according to the instructions that I've given you, Timothy. We know in the day that we live that athletes uh, frequently cheat. It's been going on for a long time. It's not a season goes by in football or basketball or baseball or track and field that we don't hear about multiple athletes who have been disqualified because they have not competed according to the rules. They've used performance-enhancing drugs or whatever the case may be. Uh, we hear it every season, every Olympic trial. We know the names of whether it be Marion Jones or uh, Andrew Predigrew or whoever it is. Uh, there are multiple infractions, and they don't get to leave with their reward, so to speak. They made it to the Olympics, and that's probably a great reward. It, it is. But any medals are taken from them because they've not competed according to the rules. The hardworking farmers should be the first to receive the crops. Those who work hard and are faithful, that picture of a farmer is used over and over again in Scripture uh, because it shows the dependency of hard work but yet trusting God as well. As a farmer puts seed into the ground and and uh, is dependent upon God for the water and for the right climate in order for those crops to flourish, but yet requires hard work on his part as well. He moves on and he says, Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ. And then he again talks about the truth of Scripture, the truth of the gospel. Remember. Abraham Heschel says again that that's the most important word in the Semitic language. Remember, Jesus Christ, remember your purpose, raised from the dead, and he was a descendant of David. This is my gospel. This is my good news. This is my truth. And he has to say this, and we'll see in just a few verses, because there are some who are preaching and teaching another gospel. They're teaching something different than the resurrection of Christ and the power of His resurrection. Moves on, he says, For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. This is how we know that He is in chains at this point. But God's Word is not chained. I may be chained, but His Word continues to progress. This letter will go out to at least a couple of churches we know, and then it's been made a part of the Bible, of the canon. It's been written through all of, uh, been read through all of Christianity. His word continues, and he says this. Therefore, 
I endure everything for the sake of the elect, and they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he lists another little creed or a hymn right here. And it's probably a hymn that they would sing sometimes. It's a creed of the faith. And we're, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. We're going to end with this, with this creed or with this hymn. By the way, it's not a hymn that we traditionally sing in church, but it's an old hymn if you like the old songs. Uh, nevertheless, let's move down to verse 14. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only, and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, you've heard that verse multiple times. King James Version goes like this. Study to show yourselves approved as workmen that need not be ashamed, who rightly divide the word of truth. Now, very much he is encouraged in them to uh, intellectually learn the Scriptures. But it's more than just having a a mind or a head knowledge. Uh, the Greek word there is more encompassing than just the mental, uh, than just the academic. Uh, it's the picture of what the Shema gives us in Deuteronomy 6, which is uh, the, the great verse of the Hebrews, of the Jewish people. And then Jesus, again, reflects back on it when asked, what is the greatest commandment all? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So, in essence, what he's really saying here is with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all that you are, in verse 15, do your best to present to God to be one approved, a workman that does not need to be shamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. We talked about the importance of having spiritual belief that's correct, an understanding that's correct. And he'll go on, he'll give an example of why that's an imperative. He says this in verse 16, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge you in it will become more and more ungodly. And, and then he says in verse 17, Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Now, I think what probably has occurred here is that, and we do this sometimes today, you get into what you call spiritual chatter, and you start to talk about things that uh, are probably kind of on the edge, and it's real easy to kind of jump off the edge and we see this all around us. We know that the Bible is clear from this passage and many others that not everyone that stands up and preaches, preaches the truth. And he will share what the truth is. And in this particular instance, he says he will share with us those who don't believe in a physical resurrection, who don't believe that Christ actually died and rose again. He talks about the imperative. He said, that's another gospel. That's, that's a heresy. Well, sometimes we may have heresy uh, preached in our land, in our nation. Now, perhaps we, we know that that happens sometimes. And it probably started with the godless chatter. probably started with talks of things that, you know what? If I can justify this in Scripture to meet the pleasures and desires that I have, then that will be good. And I can start to even believe that's true, perhaps. But he says this, he says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he talks about Hymenaeus in First um, Timothy chapter 1, as well as another guy named Alexander. And they uh, apparently have been excommunicated, and they've been done so because they've been teaching heresy. They've been teaching another gospel. They've been teaching and spreading 
facts that are not true about Christ and about the gospel of Christ. They say that the resurrection has already taken place. There will be no other resurrection. There will not be a resurrection. Many scholars would say that they don't believe that Christ physically or bodily was resurrected. It was in spirit. And that, that's pretty much the end. There will be no resurrection in the future. There will be no resurrection of the dead. There will be no account given. He continues on here and he says, They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows who are His. God knows whose are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument of noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. We talked about the plan, and here's the purpose. God wants to use us, but he wants to cleanse us. He wants to use us just as an instrument. You know, I, I'm sure most of you don't know about uh, my long and distinguished uh, career as a musician, but when I was in 7th and 8th grade, I was in the band, and I played the tuba. I had a future there, but I didn't keep going with it. Uh, I played the tuba, but you know what I noticed sometimes? Sometimes my tuba would become clogged, and it would need to be cleared, so to speak. And if I just let it go, it had a real muffled sound. There was no quality. There wasn't a lot of quality coming out when I played anyway. But there really was none if I didn't clean my instrument. So is true of anybody who plays an instrument. It must be cleansed. If you're going to use a surgical instrument as a, as a physician, that instrument must be cleansed before being used. Paul gives that picture to us here. And he says this. He says, uh, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes. Things that inhibit us, sins that possess us or control us, to confess those and deal with those and bring them before God in honesty and openness. Made holy, useful to the Master and prepared to do good work. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's a matter of how. It's a matter of what will we do. Moves on to verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with the foolish and the stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this. Let me give you another picture. Let me give you an understanding of what is to come. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers 
of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Having a form of godliness. I'm sure Hymenaeus and I'm sure that Philetus, sure that Alexander, they probably knew some Scripture. They probably knew, at least to a degree, the story of Christ. They probably knew of the Torah and the writings and the teachings of the prophets. They probably knew some of the creeds and even some of the songs that they would sing in their gatherings. So they had a form of godliness. They maybe had the spiritual lingo down. They could say, hey, brother, hey, sister. They, they knew that lingo, but yet they denied the power therein. They denied the power of the resurrection, that the hope and the forgiveness of sins is made possible by the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Christ our Lord. And without that, there is no resurrection power. Because He who died for our sins became alive. Now, let's go back and look at the hymn or the brief creed that's listed in verse 11 through 14, or 11 through 13, excuse me. Paul says in verse 11, he gives this phrase, and he uses it five different times in his letters. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Here is a hymn for you to sing. Here is a truth for you to understand. Here is a creed for you to know. And he uses something, let me give you a big word here, uh, and a big term. It's called chiasm. Now, a chiasm is this, and I'm, I'm, I'm not real good at explaining things of this nature, of technical nature, but basically what it is, uh, it's a verse or a quote that starts at one point, and let's say, let me give you a modern day one. This is not a great analogy, but I'll, I'll give you this picture. Real simple. Dear John, you're fired. Love, Ron. Okay? I start at one point, and I end at another point, but there's a, there's a message in the middle, okay? And that last part really doesn't have a lot to do with the middle. It's kind of like an Oreo cookie, so to speak. So there's a message, and then there's a primary message, and then there's another message, okay? So there's kind of an introduction, kind of bringing you into understanding, kind of bringing you into the picture. Then there's a primary message, and then coming out of it, I kind of mirror the way that I started. Now, let me give you a verse of Scripture that it's a little bit easier to see. Now, sometimes this is done with entire books of the Bible, uh, whether it be early Genesis or the story of Noah, where people will say, well, why are there two different accounts? And I believe uh, the, the uh, writings of the chiasm or the technology of the uh, the technological aspects of the chiasm are, are what we're seeing there. Now, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me show you one in Scripture that's kind of easy to see. You'll see A, B, A. Kind of like we showed on that chiasm all ago. A, B, A. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with the 27th verse. And this is something that we just used a while ago. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, here uh, is an example. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's A. 
B, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. So that's the middle uh, part. So we see that the primary message that Paul is probably communicating here, and we know that he's dealing with an issue where people have been unworthily taking the Lord's Supper and making uh, somewhat a mockery of it. And then he comes back in verse 29, and he kind of repeats the way that he came in. He says, For anyone who drinks without recognizing the blood of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So he talks about the importance and what will occur uh, in the first verse in 27. Then he gives a message, and then he kind of mirrors verse 29 with verse 27. So we see that picture. Now let's move back to where we were in 2 Timothy, and he will use the chiasm here. Here's a trustworthy saying, and he uses what you'll see is you'll see a soteriology or a salvation verse at the beginning and then one at the end, but in the middle, it's two verses of practice. Here are the two things you'll do. Now, there's a truth of, uh, there's a truth of faith at the beginning, truth of faith at the end, but in the middle, we see the two practices. If we died with him, we will also live with him. So if we have died to our sins, if we have confessed him as Lord, recognized uh, that he has died for us, that's a salvation verse, then we will live with him. Then we see two aspects of practice in verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure. We saw earlier a picture of what it means to endure. Paul gave it to us uh, up in the um, third verse as, as a soldier. He gives us that picture of a soldier. We will also reign with him. He's talking about the aspect of rewards here. So if we endure on this earth, if we endure through the trials, then we are rewarded in heaven for that. Okay? If we disown him, he will disown us. Your translation may put it this way. It may say, if we deny him, he will deny us. Remember, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Timothy, who will certainly be enduring hardships. Paul will probably not be around. And he's saying, hey, be faithful. If you, if you endure... God will reward you. If not, you will not receive all the rewards that God would have given to you. So he says, if we deny him, he will deny us. He will deny us the rewards. And then in verse 13, he goes back to another statement of salvation, another aspect of faith. He says, for we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So what is he saying there? He's saying, look, even if you are not faithful with this commission... Because you've trusted Christ, He will still be faithful as far as the salvation aspect. Okay? Even when we are unfaithful, even when we make mistakes, it does not change His faithfulness. Many of us, when we are in our relationships here or we are in business situations, if someone doesn't fulfill their part of the bargain, we often think, okay, then I don't have to. That pretty much nullifies and negates any responsibility for me. But we see that God Almighty, regardless of what we do, will remain faithful to His Word. So, the question becomes this. Are we correctly believing and living out Scripture? Are we practicing the pictures that have been given to us so that we might make an impact on the community and the world that we live in? Many of you saw... Uh, or at least heard the story uh, of the pilot this last week who had to land his plane in the Hudson. 
And I was thinking, boy, it's kind of a cold time to be landing in a river. But I, I don't think he had a lot of options. After reading all the information, we realized that he had uh, enough knowledge and experience. He had been correctly trained. He had the right set of beliefs. He had probably practiced uh, through a minute. Matter of fact, we have a couple of pilots here who's, who train other pilots and simulate that action in a simulator. He had gone through that enough times that he correctly made the correct decision, and then he landed properly and the community lived because of it, so to speak, those who were with him. Now, that happened because he had a right set of beliefs and understanding. He understood the situation. He understood what the truth was. Number two, he understood what he needed to do. He could have panicked and tried to get back to the airport, but he also knew that there were a lot of people living between them and the airport, and he also knew that there's a good chance they may not make it. And then he had been landing on a house, which would have been... Um, devastating for a lot of people. So he made the choice in that split second to land in the river. Why? Because he had been correctly taught and he had practiced and he valued the community. He valued those around him. Hey, there's that right there will preach. That right there is the truth that has been given to us. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm not talking about spirituality. I'm not talking about a good man. I'm talking about God in the flesh, that Jesus is God, that He came to save us, and that He came to give us a relationship with Him. And He did so through His sacrifice on the cross and through His death and resurrection. That's how we are saved. That's where the power comes from. Have you correctly received the gospel, the truth? Number two. Are you practicing the principles of Scripture in your life? And number three, when we do those first two, then we begin to have an impact on our community. As we live in community, as we live and seek to impact the community, we begin to do this. We begin to receive people as we recognize where they're coming from, regardless of their spiritual condition. We begin to equip Look for opportunities as we are sharing in our church right now, uh, as we're doing this marriage class, as we will be doing a theology class, as we have Bible studies that are going on right now, as we look to impact those through serving and through taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given us to impact our community and our world and through sending people out and us being sent out as needed as we start churches, as we have missions, as we have ministries. The question is, will you participate? Will you practice? Do you believe? Do you practice? Then let's impact. Father, thank You for this time. And thank You for the blessings and the goodness that You have poured out on us. Thank You, Lord, for these words that You shared uh, with Timothy, that Paul shared with Timothy. And I thank You, God, that they're still accurate for us today. Lord, if there's someone that doesn't know You today, I pray that You would draw them by the power of Your Spirit. Lord, for believers, I pray, who are not in community, who are out of fellowship, who are not practicing, uh, Lord, who are being swayed by doctrines that are not true, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them back today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray all of these things. Amen.